Central, how are you? Good. I bring you greetings from Ron Van Acker, who's on his way up to Whistler this morning. I think he and Sherry went up to uh, meet with a church up there in Whistler. Uh, Ron has helped them recently to organize a little bit of a task force to uh, help supplement their elders, their church Needed some, you know, some bolstering, a little bit of encouragement. So Ron tapped some people on the shoulder from uh, from the city, and and he volunteered as well. So they're going to just kind of come along the side of the church uh, for a season and uh, just help guide them. The church up there in Whistler has been there for a lot of years. Great little church, uh, but they're also uh, they've got land. They're thinking of undertaking a building project, and uh, just going to be great opportunity to support them. So. He sends greetings, and we passed each other on the freeway, waved, and uh, wondered why he's going that way and I'm going this way, too. Uh, but it is fun to work with Ron, and uh, I don't know about calling, uh, you know, I'm his boss, and, you know, usually I'm saying, uh, Ron, what should we do now? What do you think? And um, any of you that work with Ron, I'm learning a lot of things, you know, what not to say with Ron. I, I no longer say, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to use the bathroom, because his standard line is, I can't help you with that. And uh, also, I don't need to carry mints when I'm with Ron. He just always has lots of mints around. And uh, and and uh, what's that? He's Dutch. He's Dutch. Okay, is that right? Yeah, he does. Uh, I also uh, never order him anything with tomatoes because he hates tomatoes and uh, a few other things that he doesn't eat. Uh, but he is a he's a great guy, and a, and uh, we just are so happy to uh, be able to work together and encourage each other. Both of us have similar kind of stories with the churches in that, um, you know, Ron was here. I, I was at uh, North Langley Community Church for 17 years and handed the church off to uh, the youth pastor named Matt, and uh, and uh, uh, Ron handed uh, the leadership here, or the elders, of course, in the whole process, but uh, you also have Matt as a pastor here, and he's uh, at the Agassiz campus this morning, so that's fantastic, and uh, it always it just thrills us to share stories about how our churches are doing. Uh, we still kind of call them our churches, but they're not. But just it, nothing makes us happier than to see the church really thriving and doing well. And uh, that's an encouragement to us that our home churches, places that we can still worship. So I know Ron and Sherry are just blessed that you know you haven't run them out of town. And likewise, my home church is North Langley, and actually my wife Janet is preaching there this morning. So uh, she was up pretty late last night. Uh, she preaches about once or twice a year. Uh, she probably has a little more anxiety about preaching than I do, <laughs> and so she uh, she and she has a love hate relationship with her computer. So last night she was so I'm going to just do the PowerPoint. I'm going to do this so quickly. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and uh, I'm using this new background. I'm thinking to myself, why, why? Just make it simple, you know. And sure enough, about midnight. Oh, something happened. I lost everything. I can't find it. <laughs> and she hands me her computer. You know, I, I've started using a Mac for the last four years. So I look at the Windows thing and I'm thinking, I have no idea where to find anything anymore. I can't help you. And, uh, and, then, and then she went off and I thought, I'm not much of a husband because I'm not staying up and helping her. But all of a sudden I heard a voice, I found it <laughs> from downstairs. I'm like, oh. So she made it to bed by three. So that was great. <laughs> so... She's pre- preaching three services there at North Langley this morning. So, yeah, and uh, but it's it's a blessing to have your home church because our work, uh, Ron and I now we are just in overseeing the churches. Some of you heard I was introduced as the conference minister, and people, well, what's that? Conference is how we refer to our association of churches. It's the BC Mennonite Brethren Conference. It means the association of our churches. We're about 100 churches in BC, and so Ron and I uh, visit churches. We visit with pastors. Uh, we seek to encourage them, and especially around our values as people. Uh, for are, are, Is your church and your life as pastors, are you centered in Christ? Are you worshiping Christ? Are you following him? Are you being available to the Spirit? And is your eye on the mission? Are you thinking about the lost in your community? And a lot of the times we get called in when there's a problem. You know, churches call and there's a fire, and we're like the fire department. And I said, yeah, I said to Ron, you know, sometimes we get cold and the fire's burning, but it's just like, wow, this is kind of ugly. It's going to burn a long time. In fact, I'm not sure we're going to do anything because it's, whoa. And then Ron says, sometimes we get cold and it's like, oh, my cat's in the tree. And Ron's like, yeah, I can get that out. You know? <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that's the way Ron's mind works, you know? <laughs> Lock and load. Um, so... 
It's fun to, fun to work together. Of course, we also have the college, the Columbia Bible College. We do that together as an association of churches. And it's so exciting to see that college thriving and on mission. It, last year, they re- rearticulated their values and mission to be a Christ-centered, thriving uh, Bible college teach, focused on teaching the Bible. And for your young people and others, it's not just young people that register courses, but especially for your young people and you know high schoolers coming up, parents, encourage them to spend a year minimum in Bible school. They're thinking about university education. It's, don't worry about them falling behind a year. They need grounding. You send your kids off to UBC, SFU, UFV without a grounding in the Word of God, helping, helping them to think and think biblically. It, I really encourage you to think about it. And it's not for everyone. Uh, but uh, we, you should definitely consider it. And our, our college is doing very well. And um, then we have our camps. And, of course, we have five camps across BC. And every year now we have between you know, 1,500 and 2,000 young people that make decisions for Christ through our, through our camping ministry in, in British Columbia. So it's really, um, uh, uh, you know, when you're a teenager, that's a time where you make decisions. And you think, well, do they always stick? I, I, you know. You, we all go back and forth in those years. We're changing. But those points where God meets you a week at camp, are they were huge in my life. And I'm sure many of you would, if I asked, you'd say, yeah, that, that was a time in my life where I, I felt close to God and experienced his presence up at camp. So Stillwood right up here is the one close to you. And then, of course, the church planting, which we do corporately. It's through this agency called C2C now that's developed out of BC, and it's become a national agency uh, cultivating church planting and also partnering with various denominations, whether it be Alliance, Baptist, Pentecostal, and Anglican churches. We're planting, helping the Anglicans. So these are different denominations coming alongside, hey, we like the way you Mennonite brethren are planting churches. We like the systems. Could we plant our churches under your sort of leadership? So they do. They fund their own churches, but C2C is helping Baptists plant Baptist churches, helping Pentecostals plant Pentecostal churches. And, and it's exciting. And, and who'd have thought that the little... Because we're not a big denomination. Most of these other groups we're helping are larger than us. Uh, but God had just gifted us in that area with some great resources and people. And, uh, and many of you give. That's another thing. Mennonite Brethren... You know, God's blessed us financially, like the Dutch, you know, and the people. So I don't know whether it's work ethic or what or whatever, but we're blessed with finances. So people give within our churches, and that's huge. And, and it's wonderful to see, because these are days, and I didn't say this in the service, but we are living in times where the church needs to wake up. So I'm going to be speaking to you about just life in the body and health and just some really basic things, and that's great. You're going through a basic one another series where you're talking about, hey, what do, how do we do life together? What does the Bible guide us as, a, a, as believers? But I also want to remind you, if you don't think of it, we are living in days where the world is in turmoil. It's in turmoil. I mean, on every front, you look, you know, and I'm not a like an end time, I don't read those books and watch the movies I did when I was a kid, you know. I'm, I'm, God will sort it out. But you have to be asleep at the wheel not to notice that something is brewing. This morning they were talking again about the people drowning, about the European governments meeting together to try and solve their... They have no answer. There is no human wisdom sufficient to solve the crises that are emerging on the world scene. We don't know what to do with the weather. How do we, the, the, the biggest storm in the history... I mean, praise God, it didn't flatten Mexico... But it's just, it's like, we've never seen winds like this. We've never seen water and flooding and famine and then diseases. Just a little while ago, everybody's freaking out. Ebola and was, what is going on? Now political things changing. Our country, others' countries. Donald Trump running for president of the United States? <laughs> Help us. What's going on? And uh, we can laugh at some of it, but I'm not here to promote fear, but I'm saying, brothers and sisters, let's, Be aware of the time and the days that we live. It's more important than ever that we as a church be aware of the season and the mission that we have. And as the darkness continues to grow and confusion grows, I mean, you know, praise God we got a new government and and we we pray and we need to pray. But, you know, to turn on the news and and right away say, ah, you know, when when is pot going to be legalized? How's this going to happen? I'm his number one agenda. I'm just like, wow, okay, we're off to a good start. Here we go. What's it going to look like in our country going forward? 
by God's grace, you know, Canada will continue to be an amazing country to live in. We have nothing but thanks to give for that, and we should pray for our leaders. But it makes me wonder about the role of the church and the stand that we're, we're taking um, and how God might use us. So it's important for us to get it right. And this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about some a basic health issue for us as believers. And the topic I've been given is confession. Confess your sins to one another, which is such an easy topic, isn't it? I mean, I just thought, why don't we just take the morning, you could turn to somebody next to you, and just we'll just start confessing. Good with that? No, nobody's good with that. And now that we have the topic on the table, everybody's like, hmm, what's he going to say? Is he going to confess? Maybe he's got something good to share, you know? Uh, I remember a sort of a little crisis when I had as a young boy uh, with confession. So... I have bad memories about this, but um, I was in grade 5, Chaffee Burke Elementary in Burnaby. We used to live just up the hill there from Wellington Church, and uh, that's where I grew up. And uh, I had some friends, and I don't know what it was, but I fell in with bad characters at the school. <laughs> you know, because I grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents and great church and everything. But, you know, when I got to school, I met these, I remember Joey Hamilton and John LaCree, and they were trouble, you know. And uh, But they were friendly to me, and I went over to their house, you know, and guys, look at my fridge, it's full of beer. I'm like, what are those brown bottles? I've never seen that before. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they organized a little crime ring at the school in grade five, and they were breaking into the storeroom to steal plasticine. I don't know what the attraction. What are we going to do with plasticine? I don't know. Around Halloween, I remember we used to pack it and shove, you know, little atoms and you know, uh, firecrackers in there and blow them apart. But not really much use beyond that. Oh, you could roll in the spitballs and shoot it out of a big pen, you know, once you pull the, the refill out. But we were stealing. It was for Stana. And so they invited me in. And I'm like, I was a little bit of a follower, you know. So like, sure, I think. I don't want to, but I'm stuck, you know. You watch the door because you're obviously an idiot and don't know how to steal. So if anybody comes, you know, so I'm in the hall watching, you know. So anyway, so weeks later, months later, all of a sudden the RCMP are at our classroom in uniform, scaring the dead. I mean, I mean, I'm like calling people in one at a time. My name gets called. We go into a little separate classroom. I mean, I squealed like a stuck pig. You know, it's just like, bah! You know, I'll write it down. I know everybody, everybody that was there, you know. <laughs> oh, man, I was so scared, you know. And I just confessed it all. And I remember going home and just telling my mom, and you know. Yeah. So confession is an uncomfortable subject. It was bad when you were little, but it only gets worse when you're older. It's like, really? I'm going to tell people what I've done? I love Mother Teresa. She said, um, be glad when people make up lies about you. Think of what they'd say if they knew the truth. <laughs> so, it's good to remember. So we all, I'm coming to this all assuming that we all, we all need confession. And this morning we have a gate here to symbolize the gateway of confession. Confession is an entrance point into our walk with God. It's the way we get in, and it continues to be a vital uh, point of uh, coming, a, a place we come back to. I was thinking about sometimes, you know, you're going to hike in the mountains, and if you're up in the, like, uh, the Kamloops area, uh, you know, where you, you're, you're going up on a trail, you're dirt bike riding, you get to fences and gates, and, you, you know, you want to go higher, you go to another gate. There's a cattle guard, a gate. You know, you've got to go through it and then carry on your journey. Confession... Uh, is a gate that we not only enter into the kingdom of God, but we keep going through this gate periodically. And thankfully, as you keep walking with the Lord, you 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 get a little bit more used to it, and uh, you realize it's a part of the thing, and it's not quite as scary. Although, it always is. When there's significant things in your life, it's always a struggle for us. Because in our human nature, we like to hide. We want people to think well of us, and this feels frightening. So what is confession? I'm just going to go through this series in, or this message today and sort of a, you know, what is confession? What motivates us to confession? What are the barriers to confession? How do I do confession? And what are some of the benefits of confession? So we're kind of on a topic here in the scripture. First of all, what is it? Confession comes from two uh, Greek words in the Bible, homo legeo, to say the same, to agree with the truth. So it's a speaking out, an agreement with what is true. And you can see, oh, that, that makes sense. It's used in different ways, 
uh, it's used in a positive sense. We make confession of what we believe. We sang through a wonderful confession of faith song. I believe in God. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our confession. In the scripture, every one of us, it tells us that every one of us is destined for an appointment of confession. Actually, we're, we have both kinds of confession, both the positive confession where the scripture says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We will all make our confession with the ultimate truth of the universe, that God has made Jesus the Lord. And we will bow our knee and make that confession. We will also stand before the judgment seat of God one day. And where our lives and the truth of what our lives will be exposed. And there will be no hiding. The God of the universe knows everything about us. So confession is there for all of us. When a person confesses in court and agrees verbally or in writing with what has been presented in the courts as evidence, that person may or may not be repentant. You know, they might just say, yeah, I did it. Do your worst. And uh, they get the sentence passed. That's confession. But in the Bible, and the confession that we're going to talk about today, it's always accompanied by repentance. Confession is not just a statement, I did it, but it's an agreement, an ownership, and a willingness to turn. It includes and assumes the idea of repentance. I'm turning away from that. I've identified it, and now I'm to repentance is a word that means I'm changing. I'm changing direction. And confession assumes that. The two types of confession are illustrated in the two verses that we're looking at uh, today as kind of base text. The personal part of confession, we hear that in 1 John 1.9 where we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we have the privilege to come in personal confession to God and know that he's willing to forgive. And then James 5.16 is the verse we're thinking about, our corporate confession. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's something distinct and unique about confession in community. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So what are the motivations for confession? Why would anyone want to do this? The first is the obvious one of inner fear of judgment, the conflict and turmoil that happens in our hearts when we know we're keeping a secret. And when I was in grade five sitting in that classroom waiting for my name to be called, I was flooded with emotions and I would even thinking about it, of course, many, many years ago and I had a hard time even sifting out, but I know fear was a big one in there. I was afraid, were they going to put me in jail? I don't know. Legitimate option for me. You know, I mean, the guy's there in his uniform. He's got a pistol on and he's calling me into the room. I could die. So I'm just afraid. Of course, I'm going to confess. We confess things because we realize the consequences of hiding the truth about ourselves is just has become unbearable. And we would rather face the music than keep living with this tension. The second reason, and the one that we that is so this is completely opposite and different, and it's 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 counterintuitive, but it's it's the good news of the gospel. That is what attracts us to confession. And to illustrate this. Let's look at a chapter from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19. And here we have a story that uh, is going to be familiar to, uh, to, to many of you, but uh, if you haven't heard it before, just know that this is a classic uh, little Bible story that uh, children love to hear, and, and it's a great one for illustrating because you can just picture it happening. But it's a story from the life of Jesus, and it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. So here we have Jesus, and this story is he's walking along, and he enters the city of Jericho. You can visit Jericho today if you were in Israel, although it's a very tense time in Israel these days to go. But Jer he's walking into Jericho, and he's passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, because there was a buzz about Jesus. People had seen his miracles and heard him teach, and though crowds were following him. And being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. He couldn't see. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tr fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. That's pretty unusual. Kids climb trees, but not a wealthy tax collector. The guy was desperate. I mean, I guess he was back there. You could just see his head bobbing, you know, jumping up and down. Can I see? Can I see? Hey, do you mind? Finally, he's fed up and he just runs and figures, you know, the parade is coming. I'm going to get the best seat. 
I'm going to get ahead. He climbs up a tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be a guest at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I mean, there's so much going on in this story that's shocking and surprising. This guy was a tax collector in Israel during the time of Christ when the Romans were occupying the land of Palestine. So they were absolutely in control. They were an occupying force. And taxes were collected for Caesar in Rome. And the way that the Romans did did that was they appointed local people, Jewish people, and uh, they promised them a cut. So the person had to essentially betray his own people and uh, uh, conspire with the Roman uh, powers to collect taxes. And they were given freedom to skim, you know, to, to require more. And they would pocket the, the extra, pay the, uh, the local Roman authorities what was due them, but they got wealthy on the, on the overflow. So they were despised and hated. In fact, wherever through the New Testament... You know, tax collectors are referred to. It's almost like tax collectors, the scum. Like these people, you know, how low could you go? And that's how the people thought of them. So this guy gets invited to the home of Jesus and Jesus knows his name when he's walking by, which I'm sure blew him away because he'd never met the Lord before. And Jesus looks up, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And he must have just about fell out of the tree. And there's powerful love and acceptance that somehow the Lord Jesus, and this happens repeatedly in the gospel, he meets people, they know they're unworthy, and they they just are drawn to him. The grace and love and acceptance that he communicates to them. This is our Lord. Uh, Church, this is the Lord Jesus who's, who's Lord of us as a community. And there ought to be something about us that's just attractive to people. And when people think, oh, I don't like Christians, or oh, they're so judgmental, so we got something wrong. Somebody's sold a bill of goods to the community. We've got to get that right. They've got to know that this is a, our Savior is loving and gracious. So here Zacchaeus goes. And I don't know what happened, and the Lord says it doesn't tell us, but all of a sudden Zacchaeus is so excited, he just gets up at the table and says, look, I'm giving half my money away. And if I've done anybody wrong, I'll make it up four times. Everybody knows he's a sinner. He's, he's, he stole from so many people, but he's making a broad confession of his sin issue and saying, not only am I telling you I did this, but I'm going to make it right. I mean it. If it, costs, if it breaks me, I'll do this. And he is attracted not by guilt, not by condemnation. It's by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gateway confession but on the other side is not judgment not God's condemnation but God's grace and acceptance this is the gospel because the Lord Jesus came not only in his ministry as he was walking in the villages and and streets of Israel but when he hung on the cross and died for the sins of all humanity for us today he bore our sins took our punishment upon himself so that he might extend his righteousness and grace, all his goodness to us who believe, to us who confess to him, who come to him and say, Lord, take my life. I believe in you. I confess you are my Lord. He takes all our sins. So the doorway, the gateway, is not one of fear anymore, but it's of entrance into the gospel into the good news of forgiveness and grace. Romans 8.1 reminds us, our sins have been forgiven and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been adopted into God's family. We can call him Father. He's not the police officer looking to arrest us or the judge ready to condemn us. He has in fact taken 
our punishment, the consequences of our sin upon himself. Now he's just saying, I mean, this is how Jesus is with your, uh, your and my confession in our sin. Like, I already paid for it. I already suffered for it. I know it. Why are you carrying it? Why do you labor under it? Why do you hold on to it? Let it go. Give it to me. And it's so gracious. And yet we're held back by fear. So God calls us in love and offers us the grace of confession and the forgiveness from his heart. Confession brings what is dark out into the light. And when things come out of the darkness into the light, their hold over us is broken. This fellow Zacchaeus, he was a free man now. He got no secrets. He let go of everything, but he was happy. What are the barriers to confession? Why is this so hard and why don't we practice it well within the church? Well, first of all is the fear of condemnation and judgment. And again, that's reiterating a point. There's a lot of fear tied up with making confession. But within the church, it can be a particular kind of religious fear. See, because it's very common and it affects all of us, but we get around each other and we think, oh, they have their act together. And if they knew, again, the same old thing, if they knew the shameful things that I have done, they wouldn't accept me. And many times the church sends that message. Actually, it, you know, it comes through in the preaching. You know, We just realize, oh, you know, we better do better. This place is all about doing better and being better people. And I'm not actually a good person. If they knew the truth, I wouldn't be accepted. And he's a perfect pastor. He's never done anything wrong. And everybody else seems, and I'm the only one, so I couldn't share the church is in a safe place. Or even worse, it's, it's somebody's gossiping. I hear people talking about that person. That's a bad person. They did this, or why are they here? This, you can, you just hearing it, you can just tell that got to be from the pit. It's so opposite of what the community of Christ should be like, and yet it's very common, and it and it probably can affect any church. We have to actively hold on to the grace of God to make sure that doesn't take root in our own lives. The church has to be a safe place. And when leaders practice confession, they help make it a safe place. You Praise the Lord for Matt, Pastor Matt here at the church. He's, he's open with you. He's honest about his life and his shortcomings. Our Pastor Matt at North Langley, he's like that too. And he gets up and just says, this is the truth about who I am and my past, but God has forgiven me. That provides a message saying, this is a safe place. Another barrier is spiritual blindness and pride. And this happens as we continue along in our spiritual journey. Because sometimes we feel so good that we confessed our sins and we're forgiven and that's so long behind us. Now we're on the journey with Christ and then we start feeling good about ourselves. We think, I'm doing pretty good. We're all doing good. We're all good people here. And pretty soon we're blind to the sin and the things that we need to confess. We don't think it applies to us. Look back one chapter in Luke 18. Here Jesus tells a parable. Verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Got the tax collector again. Contrasted this time with the Pharisee. Let's call him Mr. Super Christian. Because that's what Pharisees were that day. They weren't bad people. They considered themselves people of the book. They read the Bible diligently. They did their journaling every day. They gave to the offering. They did all the things that they were supposed to do to be good Christians. But something bad took root in their heart. So these two individuals are on their way up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Thank you, thank you, God, that I'm so awesome. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A big barrier to confession is our own spiritual blindness. God sent the Holy Spirit into the world. So after Christ rose from the dead, the Father and Son sent the Spirit, the Father, Son, and Spirit, sent the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Father, one Spirit, communicating to us, living within us, and he is the one who convicts of sin. He guides us and helps shape the life of Christ in us. And as we keep walking with the Lord, if we're sensitive to the Lord, we will always stay vulnerable and we will not forget the gate of confession. Because as we leave past sins behind and we begin to walk in more and more maturity, there are new things we discover about ourselves. And I've got to tell you, as I, you know, I've been a pastor. You'd think I'd be a great person you know, and have it all together. But sometimes I think, Lord, have mercy. I, am I ever going to be free from my selfish thoughts? Am I ever, do I, sometimes I think I despair of ever doing a really, truly good thing in my life. Because it seems like whenever I do it, I always look around to see if anybody noticed. And I think later, Lord, that's just help me. And I remember one time when I first heard the prayer, uh, this is a typical, typical Catholic prayer, is uh, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. I was in the radio, I was in the States, it was Catholic radio station, it was morning prayers. And they must have repeated for half an hour, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. And I thought to myself, really? Is that what they do for half an hour for prayer? But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that's a brilliant prayer. I pray it a lot. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. And then I say, Lord, what, what? I don't even know. I'm so blind. What, what do I need mercy for in my life? And I'm repeatedly and often brought back to uh, my apathy, my self-centeredness, pride, impure thoughts. I think, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Forgive me, Lord. Keep short accounts. So, how do I confess? I looked this up, by the way, uh, 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 on the internet and found out there's a couple apps for confession, which is great to know. And uh, uh, the first one that popped up is a confession website where you can go on and read what everybody else's confession is. And when I read the uh, preview, it says, well, you're going to get some juicy stuff here. And, uh, you know, just get in, get in, get in early and, uh, you know, see what you can, what you can read because there's a lot of great details here. So, and it kind of had a little devil figure for the, uh, the icon, you know, so I thought that's probably not the one I'm looking for. Uh, although it was interesting to think about. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other one was a Catholic website that uh, took you through uh, like a process of preparing for a confessional. Have anyone ever slipped into a confessional booth sometime? You're just to, maybe some of you have experienced it too. I, I've never been in like the, done the confessional booth with the priest on the other side. But it's an interesting, interesting concept, and uh, I'm, I would have lots of questions about. I, I think confessing your sins one to another is the the way the New Testament tells us. That means looking somebody, a brother, or sister, in the eye, and being truthful. But at least there's a system that they have for people to go. And for many Catholics, this is a, a, like they they have something and a place to go, and uh, they can go in secret there and confess their sins. Um, but oftentimes we in the church, we don't have an environment or a place or a setting where that can happen. So how would I do this? Obviously the apps may be okay for private confession, but our challenge here is to do community uh, confession in community. Now there's a lot of things that I confess privately to the Lord, and you do too, and that's how we keep our healthy relationship with Christ. Because I, there isn't, there's, some, there's something in my mind. I'm not going to confess, you know, lustful thoughts. Hey, I just had a lustful thought for you. Wow, that was helpful. You know, it's like, okay, you got a problem, buddy. Get out of here, please. Uh, we got a weirdo in this hand. So, uh, or you know, in the, in the, on the highway the other day, you know, I was just, you know, I'd just been driving aggressively, and I thought, oh my word, I'm so glad I don't have a Christian bumper sticker, because that was like, what did I do that for? You know, so, but I don't, you know, you know, get up in front of them and put the brakes on, pull over, you know. I just want to say I'm sorry. You know, like that's not going to work. So there's many things, the sinful things we do that we just aren't going to confess privately to the Lord and deal with it. Say, Lord, have mercy. But then there's our challenge here to confess in community, confess with one another. 
confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. This is powerful. God has given us the safe community where we can administer the grace of God to one another. And when sins take a hold in our lives, they become a habit or something that has impacted us deeply. We know we've crossed boundaries. We need to get this off our chest. And sometimes, You know it in your heart. The Holy Spirit tells you and you realize, I feel condemned by this. I think to myself, if people knew this about me, and you need a brother or sister to help you, to share. Confess your sins, first of all, in an appropriate way with each other. You've got to think about this. Say, in the sexual area, you want to make sure you're confessing with a same-sex person. Don't go to a person of the opposite sex. You just, and, and think about, too, if you're married, if it's an issue. Is this going to help my spouse? And uh, it, generally, we need to be very transparent with our spouses. And, and Janet and I, we don't have secrets about anything. But not everything that I shared with her about my past, I thought later, was particularly helpful. And sometimes when you're married, you just maybe are sharing in a general sense. I am struggling in this area. But what your spouse wants to know is, what steps are you taking on the journey to recovery? They want to be honest. They want to know truthfully. But one way to do this is to ask, you know, how much would be helpful for me to share? And I'm thinking it's particular in the area of pornography. Because both for men and women, this is a common thing. And whether it's for women, romance novels or something, you know. And I mean, guy, you know, it's like, really, you're reading romance novels? Okay, is that bad? Or, but, you know, the Lord may be convicting you or the shows that you're watching as a woman and just realize, you know, it's got a stronghold in your life. You've got to deal with that. So it's something to confess to your husband. The husband maybe is, is dealing with lustful thoughts or even pornography, which is so pervasive and common. And, you know, that, that is very tough on a woman. And she's like, really? So, you know, you're doing the comparison thing. Or, you know, everywhere it leads, it's, it's abusive towards your spouse. And so you want to be appropriate and think how, because the point is that you're honest about your sin, but she also wants to know, are you dealing with it? Who are you, who are you accountable to? And are you making progress in, uh, in this journey? And we need to help each other. The other thing in, about community is that we help each other with the progress. So next step. So when you're hearing confession and somebody says to you, you know, yeah, I, I stole this. Like, like a woman came to me years ago in the church and said, you know, I said, I, I, I've stolen from, from my employer. She was so broken, embarrassed about it. And, uh, and then, I, you know, I can, I can help her by hearing that. We pray together. I, admit, I tell her about the grace of God and forgive. I'm so glad you brought this out to light. Now we're free about it. Now how, what are we going to do? How can I help you make this right? Because you can't leave something like that. So confession also means repentance and making the next steps. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you hurt someone and they've gone on. They've died. And so people are like, how do I do this? What can I? And so you help them do what it can be done to make things right. Also, we practice confidentiality. And this morning we'll have an opportunity for you if there's something, a burden that you're carrying that you'd like to unload here. And I said to the church in the first service, don't miss the opportunity if the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on you. Go through the gate today. Get it off your chest. Do it. Don't miss the chance. I'll be here. You can confess to me. I'm 56. I can't remember anything. I just forget all the time. I will forget. That's a wonderful opportunity. And I confess things in my life. When I was learning about confession, I sat down with a brother. We went through a rigorous inventory and I shared the things in my life and my teen years, things that were shameful that I wouldn't share in front of a crowd and there's no need for it because I shared it privately with an individual, confessed it and put it behind me. And I wish it weren't true, but it's, it's true. That's who I am, but I'm forgiven. And you have stuff like that too. And God's grace is here for us. We're not better than one another. No one will look down on the other person. When we hear confession, we shouldn't minimize either or counsel right away. This is a thing too when you're in uh, confession or relationship with, uh, and I'm thinking about the porn issue because it's so pervasive. And, uh, you know, I've sat down with guys and said, like, are you, are you in accountability? Because I asked the question. By the way, that's another way that you help each other be a community. Ask questions. Don't just say, how are you doing? Or whatever. You get to, you're having a spiritual conversation with a brother or sister. Ask them, how are they doing with the, with the Lord? How are things in your walk? Well, I'm going through a really dry time. Interesting. I always ask more questions. 
It could just it could be a season, but a dry time is often to say, what's going on? What is the barrier? Is there a barrier? And I sat down with guys who want to be in ministry, young men, and I said, I hear that, or a guy, a pastor, and he's out. And I just, you know, I got really dry in my ministry. I said, are you struggling with pornography? Yes. Then I asked more questions. When was the last time? A week ago. Are you in accountability? Yeah, I have some friends that I meet with. Are they struggling too? Well, yeah. I said, you don't, you don't need, it's great that you have friends, but they're in the ditch with you. You need somebody who's ahead of you down the road, who will hold you accountable and support you. And that's difficult when you're struggling with the same issues. Now, nobody's free of, you know, nobody walks in period. We don't walk on water, not me, not anyone. But, you know, you find someone who's down the road, who's ahead of you on the journey and can help you, stand with you. Because it involves oftentimes real tough choices. Nobody just walks away from addictive behavior. By God's grace, some people do experience a miraculous freedom. But our thought life is perniciously hard to break and we need friends to support us and help us take the steps needed to walk in victory. So these are things we practice in community. By the way, a church can create, you and your, you've got life groups here, Bible studies, and most Bible studies are awesome. You get together, you talk about what's going on in life. How would you bring confession into your group? Well, first off, you should break into men, and, men with men, women with women. And you put it on the table. We're going to talk about our struggles today. And take some inventory. How's it going? Is there anything blocking your walk with the Lord? Just say, it's normal. It's, it's, it's part of life. Yes, it's a gateway. Yes, there's barriers. But there's grace and healing available. What are the benefits of confession and conclusion now? Is this something we have to keep on doing in our lives? And yeah, it is. And it gets better, but it's never fun. But the joy and the freedom and hope that come when we walk in transparency is so worth it. And there are benefits. One of them is better sleep. (sighs) You just sleep better. You just sleep better. You're at peace. You experience the peace of God in your life. You also... uh, it, it, it is a wonderful gift for bringing authenticity into your witness. So many times we're hindered in our witness. I know, probably if I asked you, you'd raise your hand with me. There are many times I think about when I want to witness and I feel condemnation. I feel like, oh, you're a bad Christian. You're a bad person. You can't really share. So there's a common tactic of the enemy. So you have a secret sin, so you can't share. You can't serve. Oh, you know, they wouldn't want me here. Not my kind. Such so many things, the enemy holds us back. But when we have walked in confession, we feel freedom. We may still have some hang-ups and fears about new things, but it's not condemnation that holds us back anymore. So we have freedom to be a witness. And we get greater compassion for people too. You just look at people differently because you realize, oh, I see they're carrying a burden of sin. And I know what that feels like. And I know what it feels like to let it go. Which leads us to another benefit, which is more awesome worship. I don't know of anything that touches my heart deeper in worship than to come and to recognize he loves me and I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know, if I just hear, oh, how he loves us, people are so awesome, I'm thinking to myself, no. His love is awesome. But what makes it so fantastically amazing is that I'm so horribly unworthy. And he still loves me. And so I want to worship him. And I just, I just am so delighted that I could, can be in his presence, me, a sinner. So our worship is transformed. And in fact, in the Old Testament, when you, we read stories about how the people of God gathered, they often started their worship with confession. You look at in the prophets and Ezra and Nehemiah, they were, people were confessing and then they worshipped God. And those words actually fit together in the Hebrew. The ancient languages link the praise of God with the act of confession. You also get more awesome friendship and marriage. This seems a little counterintuitive, but when you share broken things in your life and sins, you are drawn together. We, what we typically do in a relationship with people is we put our good foot forward. That's what 
social media is all about. So we present our best version of us on Facebook, and that's why it's particularly useful, because who knows what we're really like, right? Just put that forward. I'm so awesome. Here's my awesome marriage, my awesome kids, and my awesome life, my holidays. Why do we do that? I don't know. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it could be good for family and everything. But um, there we do. We put this foot fo face forward. And we think it's drawing us closer, but really the friends are just going, I could do better than that. Here's my awesome life. You know, it just separates us. But when we share weaknesses in transparent, and I'm not telling you to go on Facebook and share your weakness, but when, in honest relationship, in your marriage, in your friendships, here's what I'm struggling with, it pulls you together. Shared weaknesses draws us together. So confession really builds us up. And uh, that is true for the church family as well. You know how you feel when someone comes up and gives testimony and is vulnerable? You're, yeah, everybody's just love just pervades the place. You're like, thank you, oh, I love you, that was so good. That's so true. I want to share a letter with you that was uh, shared with uh, one of the pastors at Menlo Park Presbyterian, pastor where John Ortberg is a pastor uh, down in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so this letter was shared with one of the pastors who had preached, I think, on the subject of confession. The person wrote, I feel compelled to share with you an example of God's work that occurred in my life following Sunday's sermon. My story is proof that God liberates us in ways we cannot imagine or anticipate. He tells a little of this story, background, the person writing, and he says this, I was raised in a Christian home by two loving parents, starting from a young age. My mom had raised us in church, and, uh, but she was not following the Lord when she had met and married my dad. When I was seven or eight, my mom rededicated her life to the Lord, and my dad accepted Jesus as his personal Savior. And from that time on, my parents took every opportunity and made every effort to ground my upbringing in a strong and abiding faith in God. And so from that young age... I felt a very close relationship with Jesus. Then around 19 years of age, I became physically and emotionally involved with a young girl I had dated during high school. At that time, I knew that I was, what I was doing was sinful and not in harmony with what my commitment to Jesus was. We became involved sexually. Then one day, I'll never forget, she called to inform me that she was pregnant. As in your story of throwing a rock at your friend, the, the, the author writes, the Frightening reality of how far I'd let my sin take root in my life suddenly became so real to me in that moment. I was 19 and I didn't know what to do. I wanted so desperately to let my parents know and to ask for their help, but the shame and fear of disappointing them was so great. It overwhelmed me and I did not know how to turn to them for aid. Shortly thereafter, she informed me that she would have an abortion with the support of her family. I did nothing to dissuade or stop her. I did nothing to ask my dad or mom for help or even my mom about whether adoption was possible. I just hid behind the door. In my young adult years until today, I continued to feel intense feelings of loss and guilt. I had drifted away from God, distanced myself from my family, particularly my mom. Looking back, I lived my life for many years as though God didn't exist, as though I had not even committed my life to Jesus. And over time, I rededicated my life to him. I married a woman who came to know Jesus, and we started a family, all through the grace of God. Although I knew Jesus had forgiven my sin when I asked him, I felt guilt and shame every day. I prayed for guidance as on how to bear the secret I kept. I knew Jesus willingly underwent crucifixion and death, knowing what I had done. But I could not shed my shame and guilt because only I knew of it. I felt great isolation and loneliness despite God's grace and forgiveness. This stayed in my life for 20 years. And then the sermon. And the Holy Spirit told me it was time to share my story, my sin, and confess it to another person so I could be fully cleansed from the burden of this shame. Most important, I felt God telling me to tell my mom, which truly frightened me to my core if there was one person in the world I didn't want to tell that, it was her. She was the person I feared for more than two decades would find out about what I'd done and would be the most hurt and devastated. For that entire Sunday, I struggled with what to do next. How would I confess? Was it better to send a letter or an email? Would I wait till I saw her in person? What would I say? How would she react? Did she know already? While at work, I felt the Holy Spirit urging me not to wait and simply to call her that day, which I did from the parking lot outside my office, sitting in my car. I told my mom everything, including how I felt the Holy Spirit urging me to tell her. 
I never anticipated my mom would break down in tears, just as I did, and tell me she had carried her own secret her whole adult life, which was, as an 18-year-old woman, she had fled a troubled home life, became involved sexually with a man outside of marriage, and had become pregnant. She had been prescribed an injection by a doctor that induced an abortion for which she had struggled and kept secret from her family and her children for her whole life. My mom's sense of relief at being able to share this with me, along with her guilt and shame, poured out like mine. At that moment, we realized how God had brought us back together through mutual confession to finally cleanse and heal us from our sin. There was a reason the Holy Spirit told me to confess to my mom. In fact, I was no longer sure if the real person God wanted to liberate from the bondage of sin was me or my mom. In his plan, perfect plan, he healed both of us at once. I have felt a deep sense of peace and confidence in my salvation that I have not felt in over 20 years. Friends, every one of us has an appointed day of confession before the Lord. And uh, if we don't know the Lord, the Bible says that will be a day of judgment. It will be a day of consequences. But that's not the invitation given to us or to anyone today. The invitation given to us is a free offering of grace. Come and confess your sins. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and bring healing one with another. And this morning, as the Holy Spirit is here speaking to you, What is he asking you to do about confession? Is there someone you came with this morning that you just need to pull aside even today and say, here's what's going on. I need to tell you something. Maybe some of you, it's a burden that you have and you just want to leave it today at the altar and you want to come forward and there will be individuals here to pray with you. I'll be here at the front. Men with men, women with women. There will be prayer partners available upstairs as well. Don't miss the opportunity to leave something here that has been would hold you in bondage. Maybe some of you are life group leaders and you're thinking, well, how are we going to do this and implement it? Be bold, courageous, gracious, trust the Lord. Set an example. Be transparent yourself, but invite your group in smaller group settings. Divide them up one with another. So it's a, The point is not public. The point is one to another so that we might experience freedom. Sometimes there are sins that are publicly that are publicly confessed. But mostly we just need to practice this one another ministry and all the grace that God pours into our lives, all the benefits that are poured out to us. The worship team's going to come now and I'm going to open the gate. Because this gate is open, an invitation to the Lord to walk through the gate of confession and experience his grace. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that you hear our confession and that by your spirit we also hear one another's confession and you use us as a means of grace with one another to bring hope and healing. Come now, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts and lives. Show us where the darkness is hiding, where the shame is, and where we can walk in freedom. Give courage to each one today, Lord, to take the steps you're leading us to. In Jesus' name, amen.